This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have a, a very dear friend of mine on uh, today. I have Wendell Note from the Utah Post uh, Training Academy. And I've been fortunate to, to be involved in the Utah Post program my entire canine career. And it's it, it differs um, from some other programs, you know, like some of the national associations. There's some differences, some similarities, you know, that you can certify through Utah Post. Um, but Wendell is the person who really single-handedly put this program together and for the last uh 25 or 30 years has ran this program and built it up to be a, a really excellent, in my opinion, a, one of the premier programs. It's an international program. And I brought Wendell on here today to kind of talk a little bit about his background and then to talk a lot about the whole Utah Post program and how it works. And if when you hear uh, some of the information on this, if you're interested in getting involved in it, uh, you'll you'll know at the end of this program, you know, how you can get involved in this program. Uh, Pretty comprehensive program. So, how are you doing today, Wendell? Best day ever. Thanks for jumping on. I know uh, last time we talked just a week or two ago when we did some trainers panel, and we're still in the middle of this uh, corona coronavirus stuff. So, everybody's kind of working from home. So, hopefully, uh, this worked out pretty convenient for you. But if I could, if we could start, um, can you just let our listeners know um, you've been involved in dogs? Uh, for a very long time and kind of give a brief synopsis about, you know, where you started. Uh, and I know it was a, a humble beginning with dogs and then how you ended up where you are. And I think it's a, a very interesting story. Well, that that is a pretty interesting story, I think, anyway. Uh, not that I'm biased or anything, but um, not many people know that before I became a police officer, I was a minister. And um, I had I had decided to change vocations and uh, wanted to do something where I felt like I was fighting evil, just like I did while I was uh, a a short-term minister and uh, discovered that uh, law enforcement is very similar in that way because we also, as, uh, you know, uh, protectors of society, we also fight evil. We fight evil, fight against evil men and people who harm innocent people. And it was just a natural evolution for me. And as soon as I got into law enforcement, I realized this is all I want to do. And so I began my law enforcement career in 1976 at the Lake Charles Police Department in Louisiana. And because my father had been uh, an avid breeder and trainer, of deer hunting dogs, I had grown up with uh, hunting dogs all my life. Uh, I was the youngest of the of the children, and so I was the I was the kid who was voted to crawl underneath the house and help the mama dog have her babies. Sure. And so I I grew up with dogs, and I I feel like that even at a young age I could understand them and perceive their what they were thinking. And when I got into dogs. Uh, in the police department, it was just kind of a natural, uh, natural path for me. And as soon as I got into dogs, I immediately began having huge amount of success. 
And um, after several years of working dogs at the at the department, I encountered a German police officer who was in America doing some uh, canine seminars, and he was kind of impressed with you know some of my achievements. Not that I'm proud of it, but sure. uh, at the time I was the only um, United States police officer who had ever tracked uh, a killer who actually received the death penalty and it was uh he 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 got the death penalty and i'm not sure if that's still the case today but i was the only one at the time who had ever had such sure. a thing and this was this kind of impressive to a guy like that and oh, so yeah. he he made it possible uh between the united states government and the german government for me to get an invitation to a wonderful police dog school in Europe. And uh, I eventually was able to go to that school. And that is where that is where my life, my career changed from being the, the typical dog guy who's just trying to do the best he can to an individual who had some real scientific sure. foundation uh, behind training dogs. And you know what? My career just took off from there. And what year was that that you went to Germany? 1981, um, I was, I went, I went to Germany the first time and spent a total of seven months, over um, a total of seven months duration over a period of six years. So I went sure. multiple times, but uh, the the duration was seven months. And at the time, there wasn't a, a real heavy influence of. German-style police dog training in the U.S. at the time. Am I correct on that? No, as my memory, uh, as I reflect back on that, there had been a couple of guys, a couple of military guys who had dabbled in what was going on in Europe, but nobody had had any formal education from any European facility. And so I was the first American to be permitted to do something like that. And it was, it was a, a great honor to me. Sure, it sounds like a a great opportunity. So, when you trained your first dog, was that just kind of, you know, some local guys in the area, and y'all got together and trained dogs together from different departments, or how did that work? Man, it was a it was a catch as cat can uh, training program. It was it was based on the USPCA system because Baton Rouge, Louisiana, was the closest USPCA regional headquarters to us. Uh, We had five guys in our unit. Uh, uh, one of them had gone to USPCA training there in Baton Rouge and he came back, tried to explain to the rest of us what to do. But we just, we just try to kind of did like many people do. And that is, uh, you know, gain knowledge where you can try this, try that. If it doesn't work, we threw it away. If it did work, we, we, um, we used it. And in spite of that uh, rudimentary beginning, we had a lot of success at the police department. And then later on, I, I took a step up to the Calcasieu Paris Sheriff's Office and became the, I went from the low man on the totem pole at uh, Lake Charles Police Department to the su- canine supervisor at the Sheriff's Office there under Sheriff Wayne McKelvin. And it was a great experience for me. I, sure. I utilized the knowledge that I that I gained in Europe for drug work. We had a great drug sniffing program in the schools and did a lot of good 
especially drug-wise, in the uh, school district there. Now, when you went to Europe the first time, or the, you know, over that period of time, I can only imagine, you know, because now I think a lot of what um, what you and you know some of the other people that were fortunate enough to go to the the school have brought back, I'm um, it's it's more common now. Um, but there had to be some pretty eye opening stuff when you first got to that school and saw some of the stuff they were doing. Do you remember any of the stuff that really stood out to you? That like, wow, this is really good stuff. You know, that you couldn't wait to bring back to the U.S. Well, I think what I think what made the absolute greatest impact on me was the difference in the uh, general attitudes of tracking in Europe versus tracking in America. And in the European flavor, I'm going to I'm going to say is for dogs to follow footstep to footstep on the escape route of a criminal or if it's a lost person, a kid or whatever, and try to follow footstep to footstep, which is a more exact uh, route or exact yeah. procedure of getting to where the, the the target is, and that's that's kind of what happened with this with this uh, killer that uh, that my my German Shepherd dog tracked. We went footstep to footstep, um, and and as a result of that testimony in court, uh, and, you know, showing diagrams and yeah. such as that, that we got a conviction on a, a killer that a dog tracked down. Sure. And so I would say that was the biggest because the, the, the prevailing attitude at the time was with the, uh, you know, body odor and the rafts and, yeah. and that kind of thing, which, which is all good science, but there's a different approach when you teach a dog to follow footsteps than it is to follow yeah. body odor. Yeah. How about some of the other stuff? I know, uh, like, uh, I don't think muzzle work was very prevalent probably in the U.S. at the time, was it? So I wasn't aware of any somebody. There may be somebody somewhere who was doing it, but it wasn't a common thing. And um, when I first saw it, it was like it was almost shocking to me to see uh, how dynamic it made a dog perform. And the thing I liked about it most is that. Uh, it took away that visual cue of a bodysuit or a bite suit, and even the you know the the standard L shaped arm yep. for an undercover sleeve. You want to make sure he gets on the sleeve, so you feed him that that yeah. particular body movement that a dog comes to recognize. Now, when you have a a a real tiger, the dog don't care if the suit is there or not yeah. or whatever. But many dogs are not that uh you know that that really tiger kind of attitude and you have to train them to do what they need to do yeah. and so those cues are are troubling for some dogs that don't see them in on the street yep and in muzzle fighting also uh when i was before i went to europe nobody fell down on the ground and wrestled with the dog but uh on the street that often happened yeah. of course and when you muzzle fight them you can fall down on the ground and wrestle with them, yeah. which made it more true to life. And so the muzzle fighting was a real, real big uh, advantage, I thought, except that it's harder to find dogs that will fight in the muzzle. Um, and so it, it's kind of a catch-22. Sure. Muzzle fighting was, I thought, superior, but only certain dogs will muzzle fight. So it's kind of a trade-off. 
and uh, even today we we hope that when we test dogs that we can get them to muzzle fight if they don't we try to figure out some way to get this dog yeah. to not have a you know a first bite syndrome yeah. on the street where the dog either either steps back like oh you know i'm not yeah. getting yanked away or yelled at for biting the guy you know like you might have in yeah. a training situation or the the dog just never has had experience with a uh, an agitated that fought back you know yep so so at that time then um because you mentioned it did you start trying to figure out ways to procure dogs from europe also well yeah um that was the beginning of an era um this all kind of happened at the beginning of an era in which officers around the country actually began to realize that it's easier to find dogs from Europe than it is to, you know, drive around yeah. in America. And sometimes you spend back then you used to spend just as much money driving around trying to find a good dog as you would be to just have one shipped sure. to you from Germany. So um the some of the contacts I made back there were vendors of police dogs and when the when the German police would take me here, take me there, introduce me to this guy He'd say, hey, if you ever need dogs, give a call. So um, in the beginning days, I started helping people find dogs. And when it wasn't like for another Louisiana sheriff or something, you know, if it, if it was somebody that I wasn't yeah. politically connected to, I'd just say, look, you know, just give me a finder's fee yeah. or something like that. Because I saw the opportunity that everybody else saw yep. to, to uh, you know, it kept me from having to do security work uh, at Kmart sure. uh, after hours and stuff. And so in the beginning, I was helping people find dogs. And, and I'm that, not sure that I ever really qualified as a dog vendor, but I sold a few dogs. Sure. Um, and I was, I was kind of going more with just the fact, I think at the time there wasn't a lot of people in the U.S. using European dogs at the time, right? They were mostly just getting getting what they could. It was just in the beginning stages of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then from, from the, you, you stayed at that sheriff's office for a while, um, as a supervisor, uh, how many dogs did you have in your, your team? Do you remember? Uh, we had four yeah. at the sheriff's office. And what happened was we started getting requests from other Louisiana sheriffs. And so the sheriff, um, because of the request to train these other dogs for other departments, the sheriff reassigned me to the police academy. And I, that's all I did at the police academy for the remainder of my time there was uh, to train dogs for other Louisiana agencies. And uh, that was that was great. That was a great experience. And um, and I would imagine that was a pretty generous thing of that sheriff to do at the time because I, I'm not picturing this to be a real wealthy, large department from, from that area, era down there. So to be able to, to put one of his... Uh, cops in charge of training other agencies. I imagine that was somewhat unusual, wasn't it? It was. Uh, that Our sheriff's department, the Cox Parish Sheriff's Department, uh, took a lot of pride in its achievements. I mean, we even made a Playboy article one time with our drug interdiction uh, squad. But he was, he was very proud of our achievements. And when another sheriff called him and said, hey, can you help me out? I mean, it was a, it was a, somewhat of an honor 
back then when someone called and said, help me out. And so he got enough of those kind of requests that he um, reassigned me. And, uh, and I spent, I spent about half the day uh, searching for drugs in, in schools and half the day training people at, at the uh, police academy. Yeah. And these were guys who were, who were commuting back to their agency. So, uh, you know, that's about all we could get done yeah. in a day of training would, would be a half a day of training. So it, it worked out pretty good Yeah. back then. And then after a while at the sheriff's office, you got another pretty unique opportunity from there. Yeah, this this is something you can't make up stuff like this. So there was a fella in uh, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who was pretty well connected. And he was a real catalyst for police dogs in his area. And he also um, he also was. I don't know exactly. I don't want to be unkind or anything, but yeah. but he, he had family money, I guess you would yeah. say. And so he had an idea that he wanted to start a, a, a nonprofit um, institution that mirrored the German school. And so uh, he contacted me and, and we talked about it. And so the corporation, the family corporation uh, helped to create uh, a nonprofit entity called PSP America, and it was a it was a dog school patterned after the German dog school, and to the best of our ability. I mean, America sure. is not Germany. We have we have way different uh, criminal issues and yeah. legal issues than they do, but to the best of our ability, we try to do that. And it was hard work, buddy. I mean, we we I, I never remember putting in less than a twelve hour day. Yeah, and uh, we we ran that company for a few years, and then he was tired. I was tired, and then a funny thing happened. Not not funny. I don't mean funny. That, yeah. that didn't come out right. But a unique thing happened, and that is that my church, the Mormon Church, uh, headquartered in Salt Lake City, has a bomb dog unit. And so they were being bombed all over the world, church houses, assassinations and stuff. In fact, they were only, they were, they were second only to IBM worldwide as the most bombed non-governmental entity. And so they did a search around the country for a good little Mormon boy who could come and, and help with their bomb dog program. And I shook out the sack. Sure. Got a job offer. And thought, you know, it's my church. It's kind of like the Pope calling a Catholic yeah. uh, kid and say, hey, I need you. Um, and so I moved to Salt Lake City and became the supervisor of a, a squad of bomb dogs that pretty much mirrored what Secret Service was doing for the uh, church authorities. And I was there for five years. And I'm sure that was that was had to be fulfilling work, you know, on a personal level, is, is not only just with the dog part of it. I'm sure being able to. It know, was. I mean, you know, if you're, and and you know, I I, I understand. I'm not going to get all churchy and stuff, yeah. but if you're a churchy person and your and your leadership of your church nationwide, worldwide, whatever, calls and says, "Hey, will you come help us, please?" Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of personal gratification, and uh, I loved. 
the five years I spent there. Sure. Now, I was either scared to death or bored to death during that time <laughs> because we had, for example, uh, you know, some, some folks may remember that for a while there, Salt Lake City was the bombing capital of the country when we went through a, a bomb, uh, uh, actual terror, uh, an era of terror that was called the Hoffman bombing uh, incident. And I'm telling you, I, I actually had to send my family in hiding uh, because we thought it was the mafia that was somehow upset with really? the church. And, and so um, it was it was either thrilling or it was boring when nothing was going on. Not, yeah. to, not to besmirch the department at all, but, you know, doing daily stuff like that. Sure. Daily checking mail, checking packages, yeah. what have you. Um, as some bomb dog people know, there can be a drudgery factor to that. But when that was, when it wasn't boring, it was almost scary. So, yeah. which, uh, which bomb people will know about when you're doing much of that kind of work. Oh, for sure. And then from there you got, you were presented another really unique opportunity, I believe. So I can't really explain this. You can't make up stuff like this. It, it just so happened that a, uh, a detector dog in the state of Utah made a major, major case, just absolutely righteous uh, seizure, and, and the, the uh, state judge threw the case out because the dog was trained in kind of a homegrown fashion, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And said, uh, you know, you can't self-train yourself. You can't self-certify. And even though you you made this, I mean, it's like a like a sixty-pound seizure. Threw it out because the dog didn't have any third-party training or certification. And so the chiefs and sheriffs just went up in arms and went to the post, which is the council of chief sheriffs and mayors and all that, who kind of give advice to the police academy on what curriculum to have. Yeah. They came to the police academy and said, you guys got to start a dog program. We can't be having, you know, 60 pound seizures thrown out. Uh, we don't have any, any uh, training uh, regimen or anything in the state of Utah. You guys got to do something. So the police academy decided to start a full, full blown, full time, fully sworn position at the police academy for a dog trainer. Well, it just so happened that that had been my career dream Sure. to do something like that. I think that would be anybody's career oh, absolutely. dream to be a full-time trainer. I mean, good grief, getting paid to go train dogs all day long. Give me a break. Yeah. And so I tried out for the job and was lucky enough to get it. And that was 31 years ago. And that, that position now, you're a sergeant with the state patrol, but you work for Utah Post. Is that correct? Yes, I am a sergeant within the Department of Public Safety. That's our state police. And my assignment is as an instructor at the police academy. And 90% of the work I do is with dogs. Yep. So when you started the program, um, there wasn't one. And that's kind of what I want to talk about is can you, for, I mean, obviously I know the Utah Post program and I'm pretty passionate about it, but there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, agencies across the country, but you know, let's talk about how many agencies, uh, you know, utilize this program, and then kind of if you can kind of outline, you know, the difference between handler and instructor, and, and kind of the the structure of it, because I think from what we've talked about up to now, it it shows 
your thought process behind when you set it up that, you know, you came from a, a rural sheriff's office where you did kind of your own thing. You went to Germany, learned how a structured program works. You then were presented this opportunity and the opportunity came because, you know, there wasn't any structure in place. So now you've got, you know, they were fortunate enough to have you a person with a significant background and probably a very, very unique background at that time. Cause I don't think, uh, you know, this at the time there was that many people who had been back and forth to Germany and, um, so at this time you were you were probably the obviously the they were lucky to have you you were ready to set up this program so how did you set up the program what was your thought process and and where's the program today so our initial thought process was that it's not just enough to train a dog and train a handler and certify them we wanted to create a career path for agencies across the state the determination was made that that I was going to be the only guy that I, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, uh, people to assist me. So the only way to deal with something like that is to create a career path for people so that, so that, you know, when a guy becomes dog handler, he comes to the police academy, trains with his dog, trains, gets himself certified, patrol drugs or explosives or whatever the discipline is. Then he goes back, does that for four or five years and then comes back to become a department level instructor. And our idea was that when they go back to their agency as an instructor, they then train their in-service, they do their in-service training in a structured manner that that uh, is patterned after the police academy program. But also if they have a new person come in, that they could train their new person in-house uh, with the same curriculum as the police academy and when it came time for that person to be evaluated, then post would step in, do the evaluation, issue the certification. So what that did was that made it possible, for example, that Salt Lake PD could be, start to become autonomous sure. and not be reliant on the police academy. And, you know, we do, we do two patrol classes a year, two detector classes a year, but almost invariably while we're in patrol class, somebody's needing detector dogs trained. Yeah. So Salt Lake PD takes care of their own business. Salt Lake County takes care yeah. of their own business. And then to further the career path, there is within this structure, which is a government-based structure. That's the difference between Utah Post and some of the vendors. And that is that we have a government-based structure in which a person who uh, comes in at entry level at some point they need to be they need to be uh, able to carry on their work all by themselves yeah. sort of like firearms and, and yeah. pursuit driving yeah i mean denver pd doesn't doesn't ask uh golden pd yeah. to to come certify their firearms yeah. and stuff so our desire was that eventually and it, it finally has got to that point where even Salt Lake PD, as I said, they, they got instructors. Then after, you know, several more years, they send people back to the police academy to become canine judges. Now, when that occurs, Salt Lake PD is now autonomous. And what they do is they take care of all their training, all their instructing, all their testing, and then they send the documents to post and we send them a certification. And this way, we're we're training and certifying hundreds and hundreds 
of officers and dogs a year in-house. They're not paying anybody any stipend or any kind of uh, fee no or umbilical card yeah. or anything like that. There's no they dues are taking, and there's no cost for certification. No dues, no cost for certification. Um, and it's it's government-based. And now, this is I'm a, not, this I'm is a not certification that's been court-tested. It's, it's, it's a le very, very legitimate bona fide certification. So to date, to date, there's only been one case in 31 years in which a Utah Post-certified dog has been impeached in court. And that actually occurred because of the testimony of the handler, not from the performance of the mm -hmm. dog. And so um, I'm going to say that we never have had a dog blow out in court, and there's been lots sure. of challenges. I mean, yeah. I not to not to fluff myself up, but I get to I get the privilege of a, privilege of traveling around the country and and being an expert witness for agencies that are having a struggle or they per, they perceive that there could be a challenge in their you know their drug seizure or whatever it may be or their dog bite or whatever it may be. And to date, to date, we have not had an impeached dog, only, that's, only an impeached handler. Sure. And 31 years, that's pretty good. Absolutely. It is. That's it's pretty good. Thousands, thousands of dogs uh, certified. So at some point, you, once you were up and running and, and you got things going, then you open it up to the other States. Cause I know I've been fortunate that, uh, you know, I've been out there several times to different classes and, um, how did, how did that come about? So, um, you can thank the United States secret service for this. Um, there came a time when the secret service wanted to, um, step up their SWAT dog function and get a, a, uh, bona fide government certification out of it. And I became involved in that. And so Brian Mowry, who is in charge of their training there at the Secret Service, went through the process of being trained as a SWAT dog uh, instructor and later as a SWAT dog judge. Uh -huh. Now, that training had to take place um, in a, in a, outside of the state of Utah. Uh -huh. And so the certification that has uh, initially occurred with those guys and the several people that have uh, have received Utah Post certification with the Secret Service uh, subsequent to Brian Mowry. Um, that has all occurred out of state. And so what that did is that made a precedent saying that, hey, if there is a bona fide person in another state who qualifies as an adjunct instructor or an adjunct judge, then we would accept them if they came to Utah and certified, uh, conducted a certification here, then we also support them. And sure. of course, uh, you know, as, as many people know, you also fit in that category. You have come to Utah, you have been trained, you have assisted in certifications at Utah, and we support your certifications that you conduct there um, within your agency because if you were in Utah, you'd be doing the same thing and you follow yep. the same protocol. And so that has opened up for um, agencies in other places to to yeah. pattern after what we do here in Utah and to 
at present, there are seven states that have patterned their their state police dog program after what we do here because it's government-based. Yeah. I want to touch on one thing that you, you touched on here a few minutes ago um, when you mentioned how, you know, you become a handler and then after a while, you uh, uh, four, five, six years, you are then able to come back and do the, the education to become an uh, instructor and then a judge. Now, in a lot of uh, of different associations, the very first thing they do is is if you've been a handler for five years, then you can become a judge and then later you have to do a little bit more and then you can become an instructor. What's your thought process and, and uh, why do you do it the, the other way around? So we went through the pattern of handler first, then instructor, then judge, because we are very, very dynamic pro- proponents of the concept that if, if I'm judging your dog and your dog blows out somehow and you ask me, what can I do to fix this problem? Then I, as a judge, ought to be able to tell you how to exactly. fix that problem. Exactly. So if I'm not trained as an instructor, you know, a, a handler is an expert of one dog. An instructor is an expert of many dogs and primarily dogs that he's familiar with. But a judge should be an expert of all dogs, uh, all dog behavior, basically. And so to us being wanting our judges to be able to help a guy say, well, look, here's something you try, try this, try this. Here's three things that you can try, see which one of them works with your dog or one may work better or whatever. But if you, if you are not an instructor prior to becoming a judge, you don't have the depth of experience and exposure to numerous dogs in order to say, okay, let me, let me dig down in my bag of tricks here and give you a couple of ideas on how to work. I, as a judge, and, and, and of course, sure, I'm not being critical when I say this. This is just me yeah, personally. Yeah. I, as a judge, would be totally embarrassed if a guy asked me for some suggestions and I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I would think, I would think I am cheating that person out of, uh, my, out of his experience. I'm shortchanging him is what I'm saying is if I can't answer his questions now, that is just how we dealt with it. And I'm not being critical of anybody or any, any, any entity who does it differently. But that is what works for us. It has worked great for and us. And I'll, I'll say that my experience, what like when uh, when I tell people, you know, if you want to do a Utah Post thing, for some reason, a lot of times people think a Utah Post certification is really difficult. But then it, it probably takes a little bit longer. But what I have gotten 100%, everybody that I run through, whether it's detector or patrol, when it's done in the manner that you've set up, it's more like a training day. Because we do, we do, this, we do the, the scenario... Then we stand there and discuss how we're grading it. We get self-evaluation. We discuss the dog. We discuss what they could have done better, you know, to get a better grade next time they certify. And it turns into a training day that they're getting graded on. And over, I mean, overwhelmingly, everybody that I run through it, after they've been through it once, they tell me, you know, that is so much better of a certification process because it's not just a hide-and-seek where you're told or maybe not even told if your dog was right. And then you walk out of the room and you wait for the other five people to do it. And in an hour, you either get a certificate or you don't. It's a process that when done properly, um, you're, you're 
you know, you leave that day not only with a certificate, but with, um, you know, a good training day under your belt too. That's the optimal situation, what you just described. Yeah. And I'll say it too, going, you know, full circle on this, when you set this up and I mean, I'm obviously deeply involved in it, um, but you didn't, you never set this up to be the, the Wendell's the king of this program. It's been set up from the very beginning that you, know, you definitely are the administrator and you've, you've done a, a unbelievable amount of work, but it's, it's set up that, that anybody wants to get involved in Utah post. It's not hard to get involved in it, to stay involved in it, to bring it to your area, to your state. And you don't, you know, it's not a, as it's not something where you've got to spend, you know, eight or nine weeks in Utah. If there's a, a judge in your area, you can start working with that person and you've, you've set it up in a way that it can grow um, outside your region very, very well. And I, I, I'll just tell you personally, I thank you for that because it's, it's been a very good program for me to be involved in over the years. So again, I don't want to fluff myself up to follow up what you're saying. I have a fundamental life uh, core concept that no player is greater than the game. And so I feel like I've been blessed to have some just almost surreal experiences in my career. And the more I can, the more I can share those experiences and share that knowledge, share the, 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 the success of this government based system, the more I feel gratified because the last thing I would ever want to see, for example, for my own purposes is if I get in a car crash, then the, the Utah post program collapses. Yeah. I would, I would, I would be in hell for, for regretting that. So I took the opposite approach of, of creating a career path. And then when somebody gets to a point where I can look at them and say, you know what, if I died on the way to work today, this guy would be a reasonable replacement for me. I feel huge gratification in that. I've been a part of something big and that nothing is so uh, dependent on me yep. personally that it's going to fail if I'm not around anymore. Now, to me, I think that's the way it ought to be. But I understand that, uh, you know, people who are in business, they need yeah. to put food on the table. So yeah. they have a different business model. Yeah. Well, the Utah Post business model is create a career path. And if a guy stays on that path, he will one day be a canine judge and can be autonomous within his own agency. In fact, just to give you an example, um, just recently uh, down in Texas, there's a, a state agency who needed to get their dogs recertified. And they contacted a, a, a post-certified canine judge in Colorado that, that is just across the state line and said, hey, if we pay your way, will you come certify our dogs? And so a guy from Colorado went down and uh, certified some Texas state government dogs. And so as soon as there's as soon as there's a judge, post-certified judge closer to these this Texas agency, they'll probably call him because it's government based. There's no money exchanged. There's um, it it is meant to, to create within the government autonomous agencies. Who can take care of their own business just like we do with yep. farms and with pursuit driving and everything else 
and it's it's worked extremely well. So I congratulate you on that. Um, we're running a little bit long, but I know in future programs, I want to get you back on and get a little bit deeper into the woods and some stuff like, you know, obviously the, the uh, a big base of Utah Post uh, training is canine psychology. And that's the first part that you know, you're emphasized when you go to Utah Post. So hopefully in the very near future, I can get you back on here and we can talk about canine psychology and maybe some of the, the training methodology that you, that you utilize both for patrol and for, for SWAT dogs and for uh, detector dogs. So uh, I appreciate jumping on today and there's been a lot of really good information. Um, if uh, it's okay, Wendell, I'll put your contact information in the show notes and people can, uh, if you're interested in Utah Post, you can reach out to Wendell or you can always reach out to me too. Again, I'm, I'm involved in it, so I'd be happy to answer your questions. So uh, again, Wendell, thanks a lot. I appreciate you coming on today. Okay, buddy. Talk to you again soon, I guess. Yep, very soon. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come the HITS 2020. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come to HITS 2020 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2020 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffle gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there, and we've been there too.